Welcome. You're listening to The Aligned Self, conversations in creating a conscious and abundant life. This is Daniel DeNovi. I'll be your guide and host. Let's see just where we can take this. Hello, friend, and welcome back to the second half of this conversation on fostering intuition in your children and yourself. Now, this is part two, and if you're stopping here before listening to part one, I suggest you go and listen to part one first, because it's going to make more sense, because I just pick up where I left off in the previous episode. In part one, I was talking about how sometimes we need children to go along with the program, even though they voice dissent, even though they voice feelings like they don't want to participate. We're giving their feelings a listening. We're honoring their feelings. We're listening to their input, uh, but we still may need them to go along with the program. This is usually true across the board, except where it involves interacting with other people. This is where you allow them to establish their boundaries. If it's an aunt or an uncle, friend of the family, a stranger, a neighbor, do not coerce them, force them to be nice to them, to be pleasant with them, to hug them, to initiate physical contact. If they don't want the contact, if they don't want the interaction, do not force them. This basically says that their their opinion, their boundary means nothing. Oftentimes, children have a very accurate barometer about the energy level that another person's putting out, and perhaps they don't want to mix energy. I've had clients that were being abused by an uncle or cousin or some other member of the family, a friend of the family, and they were forced to be nice to them in public. And so if your children voice dissent, give them a listening. Ask them. Again, it begs a deeper question. Ask them, why don't they want to interact with this person? What is it about them? How does it make them feel? And it's possible that they are shy across the board. And But this is one way where you do not force them to have an interaction because it essentially says, my boundaries, your body, means nothing. And it opens them up to being transgressed or their boundaries being transgressed in the future when they're older. And what if? What if the other person, what if the aunt or the uncle or the friend or some, even a stranger gets upset, gets offended that your child doesn't want to interact with them? What do you do? You honor and stand behind your child. Well, however this adult feels, that's too bad. And if you feel like you need to apologize, then apologize. Say, I'm sorry, but my child doesn't want to interact with you, hug you, do whatever. I'm going to honor their boundaries. I'm going to honor their choice. And this is where you really have to stand behind your child. If the other person is, you know, eggs them on, says, come on, it's not that big a deal. Give me a hug. Give me a smooch. And they don't want to. Then you put your foot down and you stand behind your child. Let's say it's a teacher at school. They detest this teacher. They don't want to go to class. They, it, who knows how they're being treated inside the classroom. If they're showing up and they're voicing their concern, their dissent about a particular teacher, then we may have to get them into a different class. We may have to get them into a different school. We don't necessarily know what's going on behind the scenes. This is why we have to dig deeper. But in the end, we're honoring our child's feelings. If we force our children to engage in behavior that they could have a choice as an adult, and they 
you would honor that choice, then honor that choice for them as a child. Now, this gets a little slicey and dicey in these families that have separated, that are split. You know, dad lives in one place, mom lives in another, and for one reason or another, the child doesn't want to visit the other parent on said day or at said time. And so, depending on how old they are, if they're in their early teens, they should especially be given that choice. But also, this begs a deeper question. If a child doesn't want to go to the other parent's house or abode, ask, why do you feel that way? What's going on? Is there anything I need to know? Because sometimes, depending on how the family was split up, you know, there is one situation or accommodations at one house that aren't there or available at the other house. And sometimes that's just a matter of course, but sometimes the other parent doesn't actually make the accommodations or goes through the effort to really make the child comfortable when they're there. It might be a pullout, it might be a sleeping bag, it might be some other scenario that is just uncomfortable. Or when the child is there, the, the other parent's attention is in business or work or other matters and not on the child. They just feel like an accessory. They don't really feel like they're attended to. And so again, when a child speaks up and says, I don't want to do this, this doesn't, I don't like this, we ask the deeper question, why? When you don't want to do something that's expected of you, dig deeper. What's going on? What do you not want to do? What's, what's there for you? Digging, you know, sometimes we just, I don't want to do that. Well, why don't you want to do that? What would happen if you did do that? So we dig deeper and we get to the lower, lower feelings that are there. Not the lower, lower, but the deeper feelings. Now, since we're talking about parent parenting and in that kind of scenario and different parenting styles, some people don't allow their kids, their children, to have unpleasant feelings, to be angry, to be upset. It's like, get over it. If you're going to cry, I'll really give you something to cry about. That is not honoring their feelings. It's basically gaslighting. Your feelings are unimportant or insignificant. And so, you know, you give people the opportunity to be upset. You know, what are you upset about? Is there anything we can do? Are you upset at me? Are you upset? What's going on? It's okay to be upset. Do you need five minutes? Do you want a half an hour? Do you want an hour by yourself? I would like to talk about this. I'm not saying we'll come to any resolution, but I do want to talk about it. I want your feelings to be honored, and I would like you to know my feelings about it, too. This is where you have to, I guess, let up on the parental authority. Just because you're the parent doesn't mean you know everything. Doesn't mean you're right. We like to think we are. We don't like to have our authority questioned. But a true leader finds out what's going on in the ranks. Because obedience, blind obedience, just for the sake of avoiding the pain, the punishment, is not real obedience. It's coerced. And so in the lack of that that discipline, in the lack of that pain being there, then that person is going to do things that you don't want them to do because you've taken away their choice point or their ability to choose for their life. Ideally, you want to embed or imbibe have them come to terms with a set of values so that they, when they're off on their own, when they're in their teens and they're 
all by themselves in a group, in a peer group, and they have a decision to make for their life that could change their life, you want to have them to have those boundaries, those values set in place to where they can make a decision independent of you. Ultimately, that's what we want for our children, that they make choices for their happiness, for their well-being in our absence. So sometimes you can be too caring as a parent. You can make sure that they never stumble, they never fall, they never skin their knee, you, you, you pad everything around them. I believe you need to allow kids to do a certain amount of stuff that is dangerous, that could kill them, or at least maim them, if they're not careful. But give them the opportunity to play with power tools, to work with power tools. Let me rephrase that. For me, it's play, but for children, they can work with power tools. But what are the safety protocols? What's what's the parameters? Again, this goes back to giving them a sense of autonomy, a sense of self. Over the years, I've led hundreds of people across burning hot coals, 1,200 degree coals that if people lingered too long or took the wrong step, they would burn. Sometimes people did burn. But many times, this is their first decision that they're making for themselves that could result in some danger. But there they are at the front of the coals, listening into their intuition on whether they're ready or not to take the first step. That's so huge. Actually walking on the fire is no big deal. Once you see two or three people doing it, you know it can be done. But the real question is, is when you get up to the coals, when you're standing there about to take the first step, how do you know? When, how do you check in to know that you're ready to take that step, that you're the one to do the walk? What's interesting, as I listen to myself talk, originally I thought this would be as simple as prescription one, two, three, four, do this. But there's been things interwoven in here, and I'm just going to go with it. At some point, a few minutes back, I, I was thinking, I should just record, re-record the whole thing. And I'm going to let it stand as it is. I'll probably split it up into two parts. But uh, there's prescriptions here, but if you think of the guiding principle... And we want them to come from an inner guidance, an inner knowing to be able to check in with themselves. So ultimately, they won't need to know how they feel about things. So we do a vibe check. You can always check in with your vibes. This is something that I learned from Sonia Coquette. Uh, Choquette, actually. Choquette, um, she corrected me. It is Choquette. So her family grew up checking in with their vibes. Anytime they had to make a decision, anytime they had to make a choice, they were encouraged to check in with their vibes. On a scale from 1 to 10, is it closer to 1, closer to 10? Does it feel expansive? Does it feel contracting? What do your vibes say about this choice, this decision? If they were going to go to a party, if they were going to take a course of study, if they had some kind of decision to make, it was check in with your vibes. What do your vibes say? And the way Sonia put it, Your vibes were your sixth sense, and your sixth was your first. The sixth sense was honored as if it was the first sense, as if it was the most important. This is all teaching decision-making skills, and that's critical. How do you know when to make the first step? How do you know to make a good decision? What is a good decision? So in the overview, as a parent, I'm encouraging you to be an active listener, not a dictator, to be an active listener to 
if something comes up, if a feeling is expressed, rather than shut it down, it begs a deeper question. Teach your child to listen to you because you'll listen to them. You want to teach them the ability to tune into their own thoughts, tune into their feelings, what are their motivations. This is where my example of, you know, form versus essence is very important. If they want to do something, ask them. And again, form is the form or structure of something. It's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is the essence that we have at the end of an activity, a circumstance, or getting a thing. A lot of people, are they want money, but they, they don't really want money. They want what money will afford them, what it will provide for them. And ultimately, it's a sense of freedom, it's a sense of security, a sense of safety. We think we want the money, but what we actually want is security, safety, and freedom. So once we know what we really want, we may not necessarily go that route or use that approach if we can get to the feelings of freedom, security, and safety in this example. Another exercise, and I've not necessarily been one to do this ongoing, but journaling. Encourage people to journal about their experience, journal about their feelings. And if you have a child that journals, that has a diary, make it sacred, you know, that they honor it, that if you get to view it, it's because they allow you to view it. As far as devices go, phones go... This is slicey and dicey area. You want to honor their privacy, but you don't necessarily want them engaging in conversations, doing things, making connections that are ultimately going to harm them. In that regard, you can say, I'm the one buying this phone. And since I am, I'm going to have full access to it. So what I want you to do is make sure you don't engage in any activity that you would be embarrassed or ashamed of being involved in. And this goes back to the whole idea of making sure that you can break the rules as long as you're willing to pay the consequence. But this also begs deeper questions here. You know, this could be a much bigger conversation. And I realize for Megan in this conversation, iPhones and devices and conversations on the Internet, there's a lot of predators out there. And ultimately, you want to protect them from that and You know, of course, kids want to have their independence. And so how do you weigh the two? And so that could be a conversation further down the road or in another episode. But ultimately, if we're training them to tune into their inner guidance, their inner signals, and to make decisions for themselves, make decisions weighing the consequences, the impact, the potential dangers, being aware of all that, because most kids are not. They're not connected to the consequence. They're not connected to, you know, how is this going to play out over time. Some of the worst things I've gotten myself into is only because I did not consider the consequence. But our goal is, I would say, is to nurture our children, nurture their decision-making ability to where they make it into their teens and you can trust them. You know that they're going to make good decisions, that they are connected to their values. Creating a connection to our values is a a conversation for another episode, one that just about everyone can pay attention to or gain value out of. 
it's the it's the one of the cornerstones of my signature program, the Aligned Self, is identifying your guiding principles. Those principles that you consider so important to live your life by that these are the bedrock or the organizing principles of your life. Most people have never investigated. They've never looked. They've never even considered what do I really value and why. But this journaling exercise is what I originally started in this. As as a senior in high school, I had a values class. It was a, one of the first extracurricular classes that I was able to take. And there was a teacher. All we did was keep a diary, keep a journal, and write down our thoughts from day to day. We turned them in. He read them. And he made little comments. And these comments were so empowering. It actually validated a lot of my feelings. I felt valued for the first time I was exposing my inner thoughts. It was a safe place. And that's the big thing with journals and the phone and all that. If something you do is doesn't necessarily fall in line with another person's uh, rules, feelings, judgments, it's okay. It's okay. They get interested. Why do you think so? And sometimes that would be one of the little comments. Why do you say this? What do you think? I would love to see a journal post on this. But that was the entire structure of the class. Write in a journal, talk about deeper thoughts, and it was the most empowering class, one of the most empowering classes I ever took. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but how I end every podcast episode is a guiding light for this whole conversation. You want to teach your kids to follow their bliss, follow their joy, to know what satisfies them, what empowers them, to live your life from inner signals, to be able to tune in to your inner signals, to be able to decipher your thoughts, ask the deeper question to get to the root of it. What is the essence here? What do I really want from this? To actually explore, to be self-reflective. This raises their awareness. This raises their awareness of themselves. Now, this is something I did have as a kid, that inner awareness. I asked these deeper questions of myself. In fact, I asked questions that most people never, ever consider. At 13 or 14, I was asking those questions. And I think that's what you might have meant, that I was aware or more in tune when I was younger. I didn't know it at the time. I just thought that was the way I thought. I thought everyone thought that way. It wasn't until I was much older that I realized that most people never, ever consider many of the thoughts I had as a kid. And I'd say, you know, adolescence as a kid. So what's next in my ending? Follow your bliss, live from inner signals, be inner directed, be able to make decisions for yourself, choose for yourself, be able to discern what is right for you, what is truth for you, what's appropriate for you. Again, This is being authentic. It's living your life according to your inner signals, being self-directed, self-expressed. And then knowing life is the epic adventure. There's going to be ups and downs, turns and twists, and times of rest, times of excitement. It is an epic adventure. This whole process of our life is the epic adventure. And so what we're doing is empowering our children. I'm encouraging you to empower yourself to do the same. Check into your inner signals. What do you really want out of this? What do you want out of this relationship? You don't want the relationship. What do you want as a result of the relationship? Is it connection, intimacy? 
And again, when we identify our values, we know what's important to us, what's most important to us, and what's least important. And then we order our life around these values, around these, these, these ideas, these principles. And so if I was to add anything to what I've talked about so far, it would be this, to cultivate creativity in your children, to be able to draw and express themselves and express themselves in paint and color. And it doesn't have to look good. It just needs to be expressed. What could they create if they wanted to? And not that they have to. Coloring, just coloring inside the lines, picking the colors and choosing the colors. If they were to pick colors that didn't fit the normal sphere of things, what colors would they pick? But that's just art. You can engage them in storytelling or music. Music was big for me. I first started playing the trombone when I was fifth grade. And I was encouraged and I enjoyed it. And I continued to play and get better and better until I, until I toured Europe with the United States Collegiate Wind Band. Eight weeks across six countries. It was a grand time. But music fed my soul. Not just music, the, the instrument that I played, but music on albums and records and on the radio. Music has always fueled my life, moving to the verb and vibe of the music. It's so powerful, and it's how our inner rhythms work, being connected to the nature. That's another big one. Get your kids out into nature, connected to nature. If you don't have it available to you immediately, get them to a field, get them to a farm. I grew up in a somewhat small rural community. When I say rural, it wasn't it just wasn't near big shopping centers and such, but we had a garden in the backyard and a few animals, few pets. But every chance my dad got, we went to a farm. Sometimes we'd be driving by and he would pull in the driveway and we'd say, "Where are we going?" He said, "I don't know. We're at a farm." And he would go and talk to the farmer and asked if he could show the kids around. And we would pet cows and piglets and chickens and bunnies and goats. And we got exposed to all that because my dad took us on little adventures. Learning adventures, exposure adventures. And then after these little adventures, you ask the question, what was your favorite part? What was your least favorite part? Did you enjoy yourself? What about it did you enjoy? What about it did you not like? This is an opportunity for you to dig deeper and ask them questions about how they feel, what's going on in their inner world. Do you see yourself being a farmer? Do you see yourself being a fireman? See, this is another thing. When I was in Cub Scouts, my mom was the den mother, and she took our little den on all these field trips. We went to the ice cream factory where they made ice cream bars at McDonald Dairy. We went to the fire department, the sheriff's department, sat in a cell, got fingerprinted. We went to the museums, the science museums and the hands-on museums. That was one of the great things for me in childhood is we got to explore a lot of different ideas and we weren't just contained in our day-to-day life. Not that we did all that many things uh, as far as vacations go, but we went on these little field trips, these little excursions, uh, these discovery adventures. And so this brings me to my next prescription. 
Not that I'm really keeping track of where I am, but the next prescription would be to foster curiosity, to have them wonder. And these are my two guiding questions that I put out there a lot of the time. I wonder, I wonder what would happen if I did this? I wonder what would it be like if I actually could do this? How might I do it? So I get curious. Curiosity can fuel your life. What lie on the other side of the door? What's on the other side of the city? I need to know. And satisfying that curiosity is a driving force for me. It's what has me work with so many different people. I love to find out what's going on in somebody else's head. What's your story? What are your choices? What's your life like? I want to know. Because all I know is all I know. All I have is my perspective. And until I can entertain your perspective, then all I have is this limited field of view. Another critical skill that I feel is missing in a lot of young adults today is having the ability to empathize for somebody else. Put yourself in somebody else's shoes. My dad always said this, put yourself in another person's moccasins and walk a mile in their shoes and see what it feels like. And so we can ask our children this, what is it like for them? What is it like for so-and-so to play with you? And I would say this, you know, this always got me on how young boys would get together to play video games and only one of them would be playing on the controller and the other would be sitting there watching them play. And if the guy was, you know, one kid was really good, they'd sit there for an hour or so playing the game and the other kid would just sit and watch. And I would ask our son, what does it feel like for the other person to sit there and watch you play? Oh, they love it. They like to see me advance. They say, oh, that was so good. So how is it for you to sit and watch them play? Oh, I think it's boring. Well, just consider that you put a time limit rather than when you get dead or, or killed in the game. I put a time limit on for every 15 minutes, you'll switch. That way, everyone has an equal turn. No one's sitting too long in one position. Just put yourself in the other person's shoes and just consider that maybe it's boring for them. And this whole idea of putting ourselves in somebody else's shoes is difficult for a lot of us as adults. It's been a skill that I've, I feel I've mastered to some degree. I still have trouble from time to time. But it's easy for me to put myself in your shoes and adopt your belief system. What would I have to believe in order to perform that behavior, to do that act, to make that decision? It's one of the things that makes me a really good coach because I can or I do have empathy and I've trained myself. And so train your kids, train your children to have empathy for other people. And you can see things on the news and I don't suggest doing this on a regular basis. But if you see an opportunity, what is it like for them? What, it would, what would it be like if the house burned down? What would happen? What would we do? You know, what would be the saving grace? What would we have left? And just so you're, you're connected to consequence and we're able to put ourselves in somebody else's shoes, what are they going through? What's it like to be them? What's it like to have their life? And, you know, in our connections and our friendships, what's it like for them to interact with us? What's it like for them to listen to us? What are we talking about with them? What are we sharing with them? And so we get to be 
empathetic and connected to feelings in general. Now, a lot of kids, this is something I, I talked about earlier. We don't necessarily want to foster intuition in children. We just don't want to get in the way because most kids, especially younger kids born today, they're wired and connected to their empathy, their intuition in a way that us 40 and beyond had to really learn. And so it's almost like having a gift and you have to learn where are the boundaries, where are the parameters. And this is the biggest problem with people that call themselves empaths. They call themselves empaths because they're affected by external energy, external stimuli, to the point where they don't know where they end and the other person begins. And so part of creating these boundaries are really important in fostering intuition, healthy intuition, being able to know what is our problem and what's not our problem. And part of that is a rule that I've adopted for myself is to never do something for someone else that they should and could do for themselves. At least not do that on an ongoing basis. Occasionally, it's nice to do something nice for somebody else. And this brings up, I'm just following my intuition here and it's leading me down this path. Where we end up now is random acts of kindness. Actually engaging your children to perform random acts of kindness. This is an extension of empathy. To do something for someone else out of the goodness of your own heart with amenity, with no praise, no accolades, just to do something nice for somebody else, just for the sake of doing it. This opens up their heart. It opens up their compassion. This increases their awareness. It increases their awareness of their impact on the world, their impact on others, and how others can and could impact them. The next is a prescription that I'm developing for myself. I haven't quite worked out all the details. I've done something similar to this, and I may change it, but this is how it stands right now. So for your children, have them pick something each and every year from now until they die. That's a stretch goal, something they accomplish, something they put forth. Like in 2021, I birthed my podcast. I know that. I know the date. I know I, it, was a, it was an accomplishment. It's a, been an accomplishment in self-expression. But you want something that marks out the year, that is significant enough, that's an accomplishment that they know that they did it. They created it. They were the agent in their life. They had agency in their life. That's what I wanted to say. The next is, as a family unit, every six weeks, plan a mini-adventure. Whether it's a trip to a farm, the countryside, the museum, something that everyone is invested in. And if you're having six mini-adventures a year, and, and that's the way it works out. If you do one every six weeks, it's almost eight adventures a year if you do one every six weeks. It's something to look forward to. It marks out the year. It keeps life exciting. But it's not like you're always going and running here and running there. So these mini adventures, I think, are important to have. If you're an adult, you're a couple, you can plan mini adventures for yourself. And it changes your life. It keeps things interesting, keep things, keeps things exciting. But I suggest this all in the attitude of being immersed in the epic adventure. Now, what's next, and 
in some ways, this could go without saying, but I need to bring it up because I did not have this capacity when I was younger. And it wasn't, my, my intuition didn't really open up until I developed this skill to the, a larger degree. And that's a bit, the ability to actually tune into and talk about my various sensations, feelings in my body and discern them one for another. Is it more intense or is it less intense? Is it pulsating? Is it vibrating? Is it just a buzz? Is it hot? Is it cold? Is it warm? Is it cool? Having all these little distinctions in my head gives me a reference to know whether or not something is right for me or not right for me. What is a feeling that is expansive feel like? It feels like the wind and you know is going to carry you away, that you're light as a feather. And so having this vocabulary to talk about your inner feelings, on one hand, it may go without saying, but it, it wasn't a natural for me because I wasn't taught that when I was younger. I, I taught myself to downplay how I was feeling, to you know put on the good face, to be likable, to fit in. And this is why I say it's important to develop this autonomy, this self-referential index, where you can refer to yourself as your own inner authority. And you're not invested heavily in pleasing other people. Not that you can't be pleasing to others, but that's not your motivation. That doesn't validate who you are as a person, whether or not somebody else likes you. I pause this for a moment thinking about what else I had to say and there's just one more thing, and this has to, you know, tuning into your own inner validation. A lot of times we tell kids we're so proud of them. We're proud of you. You did such a good job. But that's tying their approval to external feedback. And what I've learned to do over the years is tell my children or acknowledge my children, if I were you, I would be proud of myself. Are you proud of yourself? I think that's quite an accomplishment. How do you feel about it? And I just don't do this with my kids. I do this with my clients. I do this with my wife. She does something spectacular. You should be proud of this. This is good. Because when we teach our kids to be proud of themselves, to not seek approval outside of them, then they will live their life according to their own inner directed guides. They won't be seeking outside validation. And whenever I say that, be inner directed, that's what I'm really saying. Don't play into the idea that you need the approval from outside sources. It begins and ends with you. You are the only person that you live with 24-7, 365, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. You are the only one that you need to be good with. You are the only one that you need to please. And since ultimately you are the only one you're with that with that much time, then it is incumbent upon you to love yourself unconditionally. Be gentle with yourself. Well, that's it for this conversation. Until next time, this is your friend and host, Daniel Danovi, urging you to follow your bliss. Live your life from inner signals. Be inner directed as you engage in the epic adventure. Thank you.